Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. There's no need to use that pencil to rewind that cassette tape because we're going to use the rewind button of football history and go back in time to the 1934 season and discuss the college game, its rule revisions, top teams, and top players, all coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to part number 74 of the Football History Rewind. It's an episode that we go back to the season of 1934 in college football as part of our series that we go through football history year by year. But before we go into the 1934 college season, let's make sure that you are aware of our daily newsletter. It tells you everything that's coming out in Pigskin Dispatch and jerseydispatch.com as well as Orville Mulligan and many items from the sportshistorynetwork.com. We have an image of the day. We try to put some quotes from famous and legendary sports figures and uh, give you a great sample of the day's events back in history on that particular date. comes out each and every day, 6.30 a.m. It's free to sign up for. You can cancel at any time, and it's so easy to sign up for. Just go to the show notes of this very podcast and click the button, answer two questions, and tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m., in your email inbox, you will have the sports history dispatched to your liking. Now let's get into that 1934 college season. Football is forever a dynamic and changing game, and the season of 1934 at the collegiate level was no exception to this rule. The 1934 NCAA rulebook somewhat glossed over the impact of changes that the Rules Committee had instituted that year. As a matter of fact, this is what it said. It says, quote, the changes for 1934 are minor in nature. Yeah, I'd put a quote around that word, minor. The principal ones being a change in the dimensions of the ball in the forward pass regulations covering an incompleted pass on above or behind the opponent's goal line and some changes in definitions and penalties, end quote. Changing the ball size was an enormous revision. Its impact was not appreciated at the time of this writing of this great rule book in 1934. In 1933 and years prior, the rule book allowed that the ball should be made of leather, natural tan color, enclosing in a rubber bladder, and it shall be inflated with a pressure of not less than 12 and a half to more than 13 and a half pounds, and shall have the shape of a prolate spheroid. The entire surface is to be convex. In a circumference, long axis shall measure not less than 28 inches, no more than 28 and a half inches. In a short axis, this is the important part, not less than 22 inches, 
or more than 22 and a half inches. The length of the ball shall be 11 inches long and the weight shall be from 14 to 15 ounces, end quote. Now, 1934 took that dimension of the short axis, which is the girth of 22 to 22 and a half inches, and modified it to not less than 21 and a quarter inches, but not more than 21 and a half inches. So about a 21 and three eighths diameter compared to a 22 and a quarter inch diameter in years prior on average. So that's quite a big change. You're taking almost an inch off the girth of that football. And imagine that putting your hand of the average size man uh, around that football to throw a pass. And it's a little bit more difficult throwing that watermelon as opposed to you know, throwing a regular size football. Now, the committee also cleaned up some of the verbiage on incomplete passes and on various parts of the field and in certain situations to promote that forward pass of being thrown. They wanted passing to, to take place. It felt much like we do today. The better the offense is and scoring, the more fan support there's going to be. And definitely throwing gives you those quick strikes and uh, lets you get those chunks of yardage really quick. So promoting that forward pass uh, to be played is an important thing. Now, changing the ball size to get your hand on it better, throwing a better, tighter spiral to be more accurate. And uh, I don't know if they realize the impact that that would make. They're also changing those incomplete completion rules uh, to be better suited to be more what we know today, an incomplete pass is an incomplete pass that goes back to the next down or it gets turned over and down if it's fourth down. Now, 1934 also ushered in the 66th college football season in the United States, and groups from other areas initiated two New Year's Day bowl games to rival those played in the Rose Bowl game in Pasadena. On February 15th, Warren V. Miller and Joseph M. Cousins organized the New Orleans Midwinter Sports Association, and by October, that group had enough funds to sponsor what they called the Sugar Bowl. Meanwhile, W. Keith Phillips and the Greater Miami Athletic Club worked in November at a January 1st game in, for Florida, and the Orange Bowl was created. We'll have more of that Orange Bowl coming up later this year. And the 1934 college football season was a year of great change and innovation, and the introduction of those two new bowl games helped to expand the reach of college football and make it a more national sport. The postseason just wasn't on the West Coast. Now it's in the South in Texas, and it's in the Deep South in Florida. The emergence of Alabama and Minnesota's programs as powerhouses signaled the beginning of a new era in college football. The Alabama Crimson Tide went undefeated and won that brand new Sugar Bowl, while Minnesota went 9-0 and they won the Rose Bowl game. Both teams were led by future Hall of Fame coaches, Frank Thomas for the Crimson Tide and Bernie Bierman for the Gophers. Now, other notable teams from 1934 included Ohio State, Columbia, and Tulane. Ohio State finished the season with an 8-1 record and was ranked number two in the final AP poll. Columbia went 7-1 and was ranked number three in the final AP poll. And Tulane, they, well, they were 10-1 as their final record, and they also won the SEC championship. Now, some of the more notable games from 1934 season was Alabama at Georgia Tech. And in this game, Alabama defeated the Ramblin' Wreck 40 to nothing in that Sugar Bowl contest, which was highly billed as being a great uh, game in the South, but uh, no contest there as the Crimson Tide took care of business with Frank Thomas's instruction. And Minnesota at USC, Minnesota, they uh, blanked the Trojans 14 to nothing in the Rose Bowl. 
So both those were shutouts in those big bowl games uh, that were so highly anticipated. Ohio State played Columbia during the season. Ohio State defeated the Columbia team 14-13 in a very close game, one of the great uh, premier games of that season. Tulane and Kentucky uh, dueled, and Tulane ended up beating Kentucky 20-7 for their share of uh, some pride down there in uh, the SCC. Colgate and Syracuse battled in the Northeast, and Colgate defeated the Syracuse Orange 13-2. And Rice versus Texas A&M, well, the Rice Owls, they overcame the Aggies 25-6 in that 1934 season. So the top teams of college football, well, five of the 13 selectors that are recognized as official by the NCAA today, the Berryman, Dunkel, Holgate, Poling, and Williamson, well, they recognize the 1934 Alabama team as the national champions. However, sports writer Morgan Blake called it the best football team he had ever seen in the Crimson Tide that year. However, most of the others saw another team as the best in the nation for 1934. Those Minnesotan Golden Gophers went 8-0 in the season and outscored their opponents by the margin of 270-38. to And they were named the national champions by eight different organizations. So eight of the 13 chose uh, Minnesota, five chose Alabama. So it was sort of a split decision. But uh, the eight takes overtakes the five, and uh, Minnesota gets it on there. Now, unofficially, an AP sports writer poll conducted in mid-November 1934 had the top five looking like this. Minnesota, Stanford, Alabama, Pittsburgh, and Princeton. Now, we know that they had some games after that, and those uh, Sugar, Rose Bowl, and Orange Bowl were played. And the Tip Top 25 website uses some modern methodology to arrive at their top five by using the, uh, the formulas we use today. And they have it listed like this, Minnesota at number one, Alabama number two, Pittsburgh with their eight and one record number three, Navy at eight and one number four, and Ohio State coming in fifth at that time. Now the top performers in 1934 as individual players, uh, the College Football All-America team was selected in 1934, and according to the SportsReference.com website, where Frank Borries of, of Navy a back, uh, Bobby Grayson played another back, Stanford, Dixie Howell, an Alabama running back, came in there, and Minnesota put one of their backs, Pug Lund, who uh, carried the rock quite a bit for them. Uh, those are your four backfield players. Don Hudson, and then from Alabama, and Frank Larson from Minnesota was the other end. Another Minnesota player, uh, left tackle on the line, Bill Baven of Minnesota, Chuck Harkwood of Pitt, Bill Lee, a lineman from Alabama, Daryl Lester, a lineman from TCU, and the, the line was filled out by Stanford's Bob Reynolds and Jack Robinson of Notre Dame. And another great player on the line, well, George Shotwell of the Pittsburgh Panthers also made the All-America team that year. So that is sort of how the shape it shaped up for 1934. And in Minnesota on top, Alabama rising fast in the south. And these bowl games, those are the big news. But the, probably the bigger impact is that football size in the passing game starting to uh, get formulated by rules. So hope you enjoyed this little bit of football history, a glimpse back at 1934 and its impact on our modern game. Hope you'll join us each and every time we do this for the Football History Rewind. And uh, next time we come back on the Rewind in this series, we will talk about the professional game of 1934. That'll be next week about the same time. And uh, But we have plenty of more football history 
coming at you with some great podcasts. And every single day of the week, we have something new on pigskindispatch.com for football history, usually multiple items, and we hope you enjoy those. So if there's not a podcast that day, take a look at the front page of Pigskin Dispatch or just sign up for the newsletter, like we said, by going to show notes of this podcast, and you'll see some a great podcast recommended for you each and every day. So till next time, everybody, have a great gridiron day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.